In the dullness of the day in which we live, God is able to break in with the spectacular, but you must be open to it and looking through to the promises of God in order to see it. If you don't, you may miss what is right before you of the glory of God. Welcome everyone, this is the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and I'm the Bible teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I'm also the Executive Director of the International Outreach and Disciple-Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our ministries, go to breadoflifeboise.org. As well, we have a new ministry we want to make available to you, a website, www.savingevangelicals.com, and with it, a new book by the same title. God's Word challenges those who call themselves Christians to test themselves to see if they're in the faith. Jesus warned that many before his throne would discover that their assumptions of salvation were wrong, and he'll say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you. I want you and those you love to have a solid assurance of saving faith. This book and this website are designed to guide a person into a biblical confidence in salvation, and it's meant to undermine any false confidence. Again, go to savingevangelicals.com to learn more and to order the book by the same name. Pay attention now as our lesson today will unfold a display of the spectacular events that rapidly took place in the Christmas story as recorded in the Gospels. And yet we will see that only a few actually took note then of what had happened. But let us not miss them today. This is a season for the spectacular, isn't it? All of us might remember ourselves as children the building anticipation that came in the Christmas season and the excitement that came at the same time. Whether you grew up in a city or a little town, during the Christmas season, the city lights and the streets were all lit. They were decked out with holly. You would go down Main Street, and it was time. My first memory of Christmas, really, I think, was going down into this downtown area of the town in Pickle, Ohio, and seeing the streets all lit, and people and children lining up to have an opportunity to sit on Santa's knee, and and then driving around to different places to see the homes that were, where people had made an extra effort to put out their Christmas lights. And it seems in every community there's one street, maybe it's written in the contract, where all the homes have to be lit up to the full, and it was a wonder to go in those places. And even today, as I see my children taking their children, they're taking their kids to all the Christmas spectaculars and all those wonderful things. It's right and it's proper because the story of Christmas itself is quite a spectacular story and a number of spectacular things took place. And so I want to go into it right, right away. I want to talk first about the number of spectacular elements that we see rising out of that first Christmas story. And we're just going to go through them and name them. And we're first going to note the spectacular miracles of Christmas. In this sense, we see them in these two things. First, there is this barren mother, Elizabeth, who is promised a son John, that will come and be a prophet to announce the coming of the Messiah, and Elizabeth finds herself with child late in her age. And then after that, obviously, there's the miraculous conception of the baby Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the one who is to be that Messiah. And you also have spectacular means of communication. At this time, God, we're told, by the way, when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, the book of Hebrews tells us that God related to Moses through angels. It seems when God has something quite wonderful to announce, and when God introduces the elements and the basis for his covenant relationship with men, he brings it to us by the intermediaries of angelic witnesses, and so it is in the Christmas story. And so the angel Gabriel appears to 
Zacharias, the husband of Elizabeth, and announces to him that his son is to be the one who's the prophet to announce the coming of the Messiah, and she will have a child. Then the same angel, Gabriel, appears to Mary and tells her that the birth of the Messiah is going to be coming through her. And then through dreams of angelic witnesses, two times Joseph hears a word from the angels announcing the coming of that Messiah to Mary, and then also warning him to take the child and flee into Egypt after the child is born. You have a host of angelic witnesses that appear to the shepherds on the night of the Savior's birth. You have the prophetic declarations that took place from Simeon and Anna within the temple. You have the arrival of the Magi, wise men who come from Babylon into Jerusalem because they have seen a star as a witness, a messenger of the coming of the Messiah in Jerusalem and they travel from the east or from Babylon to find him and worship him. You have spectacular messages that are pronounced at that time. Zacharias is told that he will have much joy and gladness. He's told that his son would be great in the eyes of God, that his son would be filled with the Holy Spirit from the time that he enters his mother's womb, that he would work to turn many in Israel to the Lord their God, that out of him would rise up the spirit of Elijah and the power of Elijah, that he would make the people ready for the coming of the Lord. This is all within these passages referred to. Within Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2 and Luke 1 and 2, you'll see all these notes sounded forward. Mary is told that she'll bear a son and give him the name Jesus, and that he'll be great, and he'll be called the son of the highest, and that he will inherit the throne of David, and that he'll reign over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom will never end. She's told that she will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the child that she bears will be that holy one who is the son of God. What strange and wonderful and spectacular messages is that? Elizabeth has made known the truth that Mary is the mother of her Lord when she enters at her doorway. And Elizabeth is pregnant at the time. And the baby who will be John the Baptist leaps in her womb. And a prophetic word comes to Elizabeth at that time. A message that the mother of her Lord has come to greet her and that she is blessed among all women. Joseph is told as well by the angels of Mary's miraculous conception that the baby is to be named Jesus, that he will save his people from their sins, and that this is the Emmanuel, God with us, who was prophesied long ago. Simeon greets the baby Jesus only a few days after he's been born in the temple, takes him into his arms, And by the Spirit of God, he is told that this is the salvation of God that has been prepared for all people and as a light to the Gentiles and as a glory to Israel. He's told and he relays this prophetic word that this child will be for the raising up of many in Israel, but also for the fall of many in Israel, and that he will be spoken against. Anna is there in the temple at that time. She lays hold of the baby and begins to proclaim the Redeemer of Israel has come. With this spectacular events you all, messages, you also have spectacular praise and worship. Zacharias declares his praise. Elizabeth declares her praise before Mary at the threshold of her home. Mary declares her praise in response to Elizabeth's praise. Simeon praises God. Anna praises God. The angels fill the night sky with praise. The shepherds come and worship. And later the wise men come and worship as well. And all of this was announcing the unfolding of a spectacular future that was going to come and had arrived and would arrive through this baby child. A light to the Gentiles. Glory for Israel. 
a king to reign on David's throne over the house of Israel forever. Peace to the earth, the favor of God upon men, salvation from sins, forgiveness and remission of sins, redemption from bondage, lives that would be initiated in service and righteousness in righteous service to God, reconciliation between fathers and sons and with all people, the throwing down of the mighty from their places of power, the stripping of the rich from this world's offerings, the exalting of the poor, the filling of the hungry, the outpouring of mercy, and in light of all that, the singular command is joy. Joy to be expressed in light of this unfolding promise, in light of what was being initiated at his coming to be born. All amazing, all spectacular, all things that we rehearse in the Christmas season. And yet at that moment, only a handful had first-hand experience of these spectacular events. Only Zacharias, Elizabeth, Joseph, Mary, Simeon, Anna, the shepherds, the wise men. In the whole of the human population at that time, only these few had been given these brushes with the spectacular elements of Christmas. For all the rest of the world, and this will be our second point, the spectacular didn't come and arrive they didn't experience it. They continued on much the same. For all the light that shone that night over the skies of Bethlehem to the shepherds, the rest of the world continued in the same old darkness, and it was only deepening. Rome still held its iron fist over all of Israel and all of the known world at that time. A league of spiritual impostors still maneuvered for power and influence as they always had. The priests of Israel and the scribes of God's law all knew the scriptures that told that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But when the Magi come from the east reporting that they've seen a star and that he's come and how do they find the place, they knew where to tell them to go, but they didn't go there themselves. They weren't interested in the Messiah. They were interested in their influence and their power. They were also interested in protecting their own necks from Herod. They didn't go to seek him out. They were plotting for influence and power. And it continued in that time, and it continued on, even as others, those few, came to worship the baby. By the way, the Lord Jesus warned that even after his coming, and after he would establish his own kingdom, that this corruption of worship, where individuals would know the truth and understand the truth, and would be individuals who would espouse to be teachers of the truth, would ultimately be maneuvering to gain their position and their place of power in the world, that that would continue on. He said that when the church age began and the age of grace within the kingdom of the church age took place, he described it as, as a tree that would grow up rapidly, but then the birds of the air would come and roost in that tree, and that's a picture of these ravenous political vultures, you might say, who had settled in the branches of his own kingdom, and it went on as it had before. Politics of power and control still lurked in the dark background of everyone's life. Herod continued after this spectacular moment in his murderous ways, seeking to hold on to his power and to his wealth, as did others. Actually, if you study the life of Herod, you'll find out that in order to protect his position of power, he had his own father-in-law killed, his mother-in-law killed, his wife killed, his brother-in-law killed. That wasn't enough for him. He actually had three of his sons put to death as well. Caesar Augustus said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than to be one of his children. He was a murderous man who did all he could to hold on to his power. And Herod was probably dying or 
going into a state of decrepitation himself during this time. And he was losing his power and his own self-control. And it only made him thirsty for more power. And among other things, one of the things that Herod did was, at his death, he ordered that the spiritual leaders in Israel that people looked to be slaughtered when he would die as well, so that they would, at least when he died, they would mourn. Herod's behavior continued much the same after the baby was born, right? He was the one who ordered all the children two years old and younger to be slain. The bereavement of mothers continued on as well. The darkness of mothers bereaved continued on after Christ's birth. Mary and Joseph became political refugees. They weren't the first and they certainly wouldn't be the last. This continued on as before. For the most part, the large spiritual disinterest continued as well. No one in Jerusalem sought the birthplace of the Savior but these few that we've mentioned. There were sporadic convulsions of interest, but they quickly resided back into a dull apathy for the things of God. And even later, this apathy revealed to have been covering up a real antagonism towards God himself. A true Messiah, after all, would threaten self. For all the spectacular nature of Christ's initial coming, the vast experience of mankind was largely unchanged and the trend towards trouble in human society continued, much as it continues on still today. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.